We have two short readings this morning from the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book in the Old Testament. And if you're using the Church Bible, uh, you will find uh, the reading on page 134. Page 134. There are no prizes for guessing why this book is called Numbers. Uh, it is called Numbers because at various points it speaks of how Moses uh, was called upon to number, in other words, to count uh, the people of God. Uh, and to do so in the twelve tribes of the twelve groupings that were descended from Jacob and back from Jacob to Isaac and ultimately from Abraham. And uh, so we're going to uh, read this morning uh, at the end of this uh, chapter uh, from uh, verse um, 47. Verse 46, we're told the total number was 603,550. And now we focus in on one of those groupings. The families of the tribe of Levi, however, were not counted along with the others. The Lord had said to Moses, You must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it, they are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They're to take care of it and encamp round it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who goes near it shall be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, each man in his own camp, under his own standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents round the tabernacle of the testimony, that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible uh, for the care of the tabernacle of the testimony. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. And then if you turn please uh, over to page uh, one. Uh, 3, 6, and Numbers chapter 3. We read again of the Levites. And we need to read something more of their work and responsibility. Numbers chapter 3, verse 1, page 136. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time the Lord talked with Moses on Mount Sinai. The names of the son of Aaron were Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Those were the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests, who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadab and Abihu, however, fell dead before the Lord when they made an offering with unauthorized fire before him in the desert of Sinai. They had no sons, so only Eliezer and Ithamar 
served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. So there were people who were priests, men who were priests from this family. And now we read of the Levites again. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given holy to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches this sanctuary must be put to death. The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal, they are to be mine. I am the Lord. Amen. We continue in our... This morning we come to our fourth study in the office and the work of deacon. And after today we have one more. And then um, in uh, two weeks' time, uh, after coffee, I'm going to give an opportunity if there are questions uh, that anybody has uh, as a result of our studies, uh, then there will be an opportunity after coffee. Sabbath school finishes next week. Uh, and uh, then we'll have an opportunity to ask any questions. Um, it would be useful if you were able to let me have your question beforehand, uh, just uh, if it's anything out of the ordinary, uh, that I could have a think about it. Uh, but that's an opportunity to interact uh, with what we have been seeing in our studies uh, together. Well, to date we have noted uh, that Christ, the true servant, calls every person whom he saves to be like him. He came not to be served, but to serve. And you and I are saved not to be served, uh, but first of all to serve. Now there will undoubtedly be times and there are ways in which we will be served, but our attitude of mind and heart must not be, well others are here to serve me, Rather it is, I am here to serve Christ in them and through them. We've examined the scriptural evidence uh, in the New Testament, uh, taking in Palestine, taking in uh, Greece, taking in Asia Minor. And we have seen that in the church, in those three different geographical regions, there were deacons. And so we've seen that this is a widespread office uh, in uh, the church. And then last time we dug beneath the surface to expose the roots of the office as we looked at Acts chapter 6 
and saw there the things that brought this office into being. Now by this stage you may be asking a question. Uh, I hope you are. A question something like this. Well, if every Christian is called to serve, what need is there for a specific office of deacon? Indeed, what role is left for deacons to fill if we are all engaged together in service? Are we to think of deacons as God's contingency plan? The reserve troops uh, that are called up when things go wrong. Are they a bit like our our rainy day savings account that is there in case and when things go wrong? Perhaps members not doing their job um, or not serving. Well, no, that's not the way we're to think of deacons. They're not a contingency. They're not a backup. There is service that members are to give and there is a distinctive service that deacons are to give. It's not either members serving or deacons serving. It is both members and deacons serving in the church. And that means this morning that we need to take some time to think together in a broad way not about the particulars, but in a broad way, then how are the deacons to serve? What tasks has God given particularly and especially to the deacons in terms of service? And from Acts 6 and other scriptures, we want to note how the service of the first deacons had three dimensions or facets to it. First of all, and this is going to be the longest point, because I think it's the most important point, service to the needy. Service to the needy. We touched on this the last time, as we noted the circumstances that led to the office of deacon being established. There was need. There were widows uh, who, were, who believed they were being neglected and who were not receiving enough food in order uh, to live. The church was not doing what she had committed herself to do. She wasn't doing what the Lord God had called her to do, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Biblical religion. Religion that delights God, cares for the needy, because he is the God himself who cares. And he cared for sinners like you and me so much that he sent his son. He gave him up. He went without him in heaven for a period of 30 plus years. And his son sacrificed his life. He gave his all in order to care for and to save God's people. And so biblical religion cares for the needy, both the needy 
among the people of God and the needy around about the people of God. And if you had lived in Old Testament times, this was actually written into, as it were, almost the membership vows of the church in the Old Testament. If you were a farmer, the Lord did not allow you to rake your grain field a second time. He didn't allow you to mow right into the hedges. I have a memory of a boy, as a boy, when there were the old cotton bars and nothing very sophisticated compared to the moors today. And you went in and you started into the field and you cut a few feet in and you cut right the way round and round and round until the whole thing was cut and then you had to do the backing swathe, as it was called. And I remember when my father or my uncle was cutting and you had to hold up this uh, piece of cutting machinery so they could get right back into the corner. And then they would have cut tight into the corners. Farmers in Northern Ireland don't like to leave corners uncut. And in fact, that's one of the faults that farmers find today with the modern machinery. It's so big that it won't cut into the corners. Well, if you've been living in the Old Testament, you were not allowed to cut into the corners. Why not? What a waste. What was there for the poor. It was there for the needy. It was there for the widow and the orphan. Or if you'd grown olives in your back garden, or you'd a vineyard uh, with lots of vines in it, you weren't allowed to go over the, the uh, trees of the plants a second time. Some of you have probably had the experience, as I had as a boy, of picking gooseberries. And of course, they merge in with the colour of the leaves. Black currants are a bit easier when they're ripe because they stand out. And you had to go over the trees sometimes because if your mother came out and found berries still in the tree, you were in trouble. Well, you couldn't have done that in Israel, but you had to think. In the Old Testament church, you had to think of the widow and the poor and the needy and the stranger. And when we come into the Old Testament and we come into the book of Ruth, Ruth was able, having come back from Moab, outside of God's people, now a believer among God's people, and she and her mother-in-law had nothing. They had lost everything in Moab. And when she came back, she went into the fields, and she was able to glean because of this principle that was written in the very heart of the church in the Old Testament. You, my people, have to provide and care for and serve the needy. Now Israel, the church in the Old Testament, especially as the years went on, failed miserably in this regard. And when you read Isaiah and Habakkuk, those prophets uh, of the Lord, they're continually reprimanding the people and rebuking the people because they're selfish and they're focused on themselves and they're not caring for the needy. Indeed, they are often oppressing the needy. And of course that is why the Christ had to come from heaven. And he came as the true Israel. And he came and he's presented in the New Testament as the faithful servant. And he succeeds where the church, the Old Testament church, has failed. 
And as we've noted already, throughout his three and a half years ministry, he combined preaching to people and urging upon them their need to repent of their sin, to believe in him, to be saved, and at the same time caring for the needs of their bodies. And we saw last time how the apostles in Jerusalem initially they followed on from the example of Christ and they sought to combine these two things, these two tasks, in the one office. And then in Acts 6, the division and the separation is made and the deacons, their primary calling now is service to the needy. Now later on in Acts, the church in Jerusalem sends out, or sorry, not sends out, but recognizes Paul as the missionary to the Gentiles. And as they did so, they said, Paul, you go with our blessing. But Paul, you also go with the condition that we are placing upon you. Here is something that you must do wherever you go among the Gentiles, wherever you preach Christ, Wherever you constitute churches of men and women who believe in Christ, here is something you must do with these Gentile believers. And what was it? Was Paul to circumcise them and to make them little Jews? Was he to get them to dress like Jews? So if they coming from their cultural background, well, they would merge in with the Jews? No. Here's what they had to do. Here's what he had to do. Galatians chapter 2 verse 10. Paul writes about it. They, the apostles he's referring to, desired only that we should remember the poor. That we should care for the needy. The Gentile churches as well. Wherever they were constituted, they were to have this service for the poor. And Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, he was born and bred in the Old Testament stable. And he knew this was part of the character of God and has to be the character of the church. And then we come to the letter of James later uh, in the, or towards the end of our Old Testaments. And he's writing about 45 AD and what does he do? He stresses care for the needy again and again. James 1 verse 27, he puts it like this, pure and undefiled religion before God. The kind of faith, the kind of profession of faith that God delights in and rejoices. What is it? It is to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble. And in James chapter 2, he puts it like this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled. James says, what good is that? What kind of Christian faith, what kind of Christian profession, what kind of Christian church is that? All talk, no action, all preaching, 
no care for those who are destitute and needy. And what did Jesus say about the needy to his, his disciples? Mark chapter 14 verse 7. For you will always have the poor with you. You will always have the needy with you. The church of Christ should always see the needy among her and around her. Christ was saying this is an established fact of living in a broken world. doesn't matter how many good deed charities that come into existence. There will always be the poor and the needy in the world. And they should be found in the church. And in our church today, there are not many, if any of us, who lack food and clothing. And perhaps that's a real rebuke to us as a church. A rebuke in terms of who we're trying to reach and the kind of people that we're trying to reach. Because surely there still are the poor among us, the needy among us in our time. And the deacons. It is their role and responsibility to lead up this service to the needy. But there will be need, even within our church, among our own families. It may not take the form of food. It may not take the form of needing clothes. But in our congregation we will experience death. And some will experience critical illness. And others will come into unemployment. And some may pass through the trauma of divorce and family breakup. And when those experiences come into the life of an individual or a family or a church, there is real need. Not just pastoral need for the word of God and prayer to be offered and brought to bear in this situation. Yes, that's a given. But also there's a need to come alongside and to care and to help out practically and some may lose their livelihood and in such circumstances it is the task of the deacon to help the church express the care of Christ the character of God for and towards the day. that may involve visiting it may involve doing odd jobs for those who are not able to do them any longer for themselves and who don't have anybody in their immediate family who can do them. It may mean arranging transport, a host of other things, providing food or other practical help. And the deacons are to lead in this. And they're to oversee and they're to exemplify this service to the needy. They're to encourage it. They're to promote it. They're to exemplify it. And they're to ensure that, that no one gets overlooked, as could easily happen if need is left to everyone and anyone to meet. Service to the needy. It's not the function of the elder. Yes, it is a shared responsibility of members, but it is a distinctive function then 
of the deacon. Let's notice then, secondly, service to the congregation. Service to the congregation. When the apostles in Acts 6 realize that there is a problem with their care for the deity in the congregation, they set down a principle. We saw that principle the last time. It was a principle that would solve the problem. Verse 2 of Acts 6, It would not be right for us to neglect the word of God to serve. Literally it is, to wait on tables. As I mentioned in the first study, uh, when we were not dealing with deacons, this word is a word that's used for a waiter. And we find it used that way. For example, in the wedding at the Canaan and Cana of Galilee. But these apostles use it now, and we've seen already how it covers the meeting of the need of the widows for food. But I want now to show you that this phrase has another meaning. And particularly the word table has another meaning within the New Testament. And outside the New Testament. And I believe it's not here in the foreground, but it's here in the background of this statement. Um, It is not right that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Now this other meaning of the word and the other sense in which it is used, we have an example of it in Matthew 21 verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money. Not tables of food now. It's tables of money. The money changers. And it's the same word as we have here in Acts chapter 6. So this word means not only a table at which food is served and eaten or distributed, but also a table at which money is lodged and exchanged and withdrawn. And you see, that was part of what was happening in the temple. There was a temple currency. There was a special money you had to use in the temple. And you didn't have it in your pocket. And so when you came up from wherever you lived, uh, in Palestine, and you came into the temple, you had to go to the Bureau de Change. And you had to hand in your coins. The same way as if you were going to go down to Dublin. You've got to go to the post office. You've got to get euros. Well, that's what happened when you were going up the temple. You had to have this temple currency. And that's why they had these money tables. And these guys that were running these money tables, they were making a handsome profit in the midst of it all. And that's why Jesus was so incensed about it. But that's by the, by the way this morning. In the New Testament times, the Greek word for a bank was the same word as table. Same word. And Luke, in chapter 19, tells us about the, the man who was going away on a journey for a period of time. And he distributed of his finances to his servants. And he gave some ten and some five. And and the third servant he gave one talent or one amount to. And he came back eventually and he called his servants to account. And the third man had done absolutely nothing. 
with the money. With what the Lord had given him. What the Master had given him. And here's what the Master said. Luke 19 verse 23. Why then did you not put my money on deposit? It literally is on the table. Why did you not put it in the bank? We would say. Into a savings account. And at least earn some interest. So here's this word table. has to do with food. And it has to do with money. Now before Acts 6. Let's use our biblical logic here. And see where this takes us. Because it's implicit. I believe in Acts 6. That these men. uh, The apostles were saying. We're not going to handle the money any longer. The deacons are going to handle the money. Before Acts 6, what was happening? Well, go back to Acts chapter 4. And verse 34. All who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And what did they do? They brought the proceeds of the the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. You see, the apostles, up to this point, were handling the money as well. And given that, is it not likely that the apostles have more in mind than meal tables here? When they say in Acts chapter 6 verse 2, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables, to serve the money tables, to look after the finances. And surely in Acts 6, when the office of deacon is established, the deacons from that point on, they receive they hold, they administer the finances of the congregation. It's common property. And in doing so, the deacons not only serve the needy, they also serve the whole congregation. That's a very obvious thing, isn't it? You can't have everybody doing a, a very specific job. There are some jobs and they've got to be done by one or two or a number of people. And this is one of them. Handling finance. There was a church leader at the beginning of the third century by the name of Oregon. O-R-I-G-E-N. And here's what he wrote. It's a very, very significant comment. The deacons preside over the money tables of the church. That would be significant enough in itself. But he adds, as we are taught in the Acts of the Apostles. And so he, here's this man, at the beginning of the third century, very close, um, well the closest uh, recorded incident that we have uh, to what is happening in the New Testament. And he says, the deacons preside over the money tables because we're taught it in the Acts of of the apostles. He was convinced that the apostles spoke in Acts 6 not just of meal tables but of money tables. Now every Lord's Day you give money to the Lord's work. And that's not just a, a convenience. We're not just saying when we, the collection plate goes around or we announce the tithes and offerings Well, every organization needs money to function. That is true. 
every organisation needs money to function. A school PTA needs money to function. A rugby club uh, or a swimming club that our kids go to or a computer club needs a certain amount of money to function. Somebody's got to pay for the heat. Somebody's got to pay for the light for a room. But giving to the Lord's work and the money that comes into the church is entirely different. It's not just about meeting expenses. This is us saying, thank you, Lord, for your salvation to me in Christ. He gave everything to save me. I return then to you of my money. I return to you of my time. I return to you myself. That's why at times I would say, let us give to God our tithes and with our tithes ourselves. Because this is not just um, an added on. This is part of worship. It's part of worship. Um, and if we had time, we could develop that and we would see that in the Old Testament, the people of God gave one-tenth. Uh, and there are many, there are Christians today uh, and our church generally would believe this and I personally believe this that we are today to give at least one-tenth. The tenth was what was given in the Old Testament before the Christ came. And everything's greater and fuller in the New Testament. Is it not right that we should be giving more in the New Testament church? Because we have a greater sense of fullness and gratitude. But in any case, whatever amount the Lord enables you to give, and you give, and you've got to give it before the Lord. It's not to me, not to the elders. It's before the Lord. Each man stands to his own master. Who am I to judge the servant of another in this matter. And so this money comes in. And what is to be done with it? Well, somebody's got to look after it. And then there are expenses that are to be met. This building, salary, various other things. And there's the wider support of the church. And there's the support of mission. And all of that has got to be managed. It's not the role of elders the function of the deacons to serve the congregation by receiving the tithes you give by recording it by banking it by holding it by administering it by managing it honestly conscientiously wisely and circumspectly before the congregation and the world and in our day many churches have the added common property of manses that need to be maintained of a building used for worship that needs to be opened and heated and cleaned and insured and repaired so there is service which is to be given to the congregation let's stop there and ask ourselves as we reflect on what we've seen so far am I a man or a woman a believer who's serving others, serving the needy. That's our first point.
Is that a feature of my Christian faith? For if it isn't, there's something wrong. And am I also allowing for the fact that there's special service that the deacons give to the congregation? Am I also someone who's intent on serving in the congregation? That I do my share. That no one is overburdened. I don't leave it to others to do those things that are common to the body of Christ. No, I, in the name of Christ, honestly and conscientiously and humbly and depends of him, seek to serve him and to serve the congregation. Then let's notice thirdly and finally this morning. Service to the elders. Service to the elders. It's another facet that comes out of this passage in Acts chapter 6. The deacons not only serve the needy, they not only serve the congregation. In Acts 6, they also serve the apostles. That body of men whom Christ chose to be spiritual overseers, the teachers, the pastors of the church. And as the deacons serve these men, then the apostles have more time for the ministry of prayer and the word. And we saw the last time the result was that more people, previously unreached people, were saved and added to the church in Jerusalem. So these men serve the apostles. Now the office of apostle was temporary. It was for the first century only. Until the New Testament church had been given all the truth that Christ intends her to have. There is no new truth today for the church or the people of God. Christ has given it all and it's inscripturated now the last part of it through the apostles in the New Testament. And there have been no apostles since then. And there are no apostles today. And if somebody calls themselves an apostle today, they are wrong. And they're going against scripture. The elder is, as we saw a couple of years ago, the permanent ongoing office. It has taken over. Uh, it's a lesser office. Because it doesn't have new revelation. But what it is to do is to uphold and preach and teach the revelation of Christ as given to the apostles. So the church, though there's no apostles, is nonetheless the apostolic church. And these elders, they're already present in Acts. And therefore, as it was part of the function of the deacon to serve the apostles... So it is part of the function of the deacon to serve the elders. And we don't have time to develop this this morning, but you're wondering why I read Numbers chapter 1 and 3 probably at this stage. And it's because of this principle. The apostles didn't dream this up as a new concept or a new idea. This division of labor and this idea that there's a body of men 
who serve the spiritual leaders in order to free up the spiritual leaders to get on with prayer and the ministry of the word. It's enshrined in the Old Testament. And it's the distinction that's made in Numbers chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 3 between the priests and the Levites. And the priest's task in the Old Testament was to, to pray and to offer the sacrifices. And the Levite's task was, as we saw it there, was to look after the place of worship, which was in that time a tent, the tabernacle. And if you notice, particularly in Numbers chapter 3, verse 6, these words, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to serve him. To serve him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community. See, their service to the church. Their service to the spiritual leaders at the tent of meeting by doing the work of of the tabernacle. And then it identifies things that they are to do. So this is the continuation of an Old Testament church practice that the Levites, as the Levites serve the priests, so the deacons serve the elders, and they take off the priests of the Old Testament, they take off the elders in the New Testament those things that would distract them from their calling in Christ, which is to see people saved, to see people added to the church, and to see believers built up in their faith. Now, what does it mean practically? Because sometimes when people hear that suggestion that you have a group that serves another group, then we're saying that deacons then and now, they're nothing more than message boys. They're nothing more than glorified errand boys. And they have no real power, and they have no real authority to discuss anything or decide anything themselves, and they depend on the elders to make all the executive decisions, all the big decisions. And then the deacons are simply the implementers, the foot soldiers, the workmen, if you want to put it like that. Well, that's wrong. That is obviously wrong. And that is clearly wrong in the light of Scripture and in the light of Acts. It's not when the, when the deacons are to serve the elders, it doesn't diminish their authority in their sphere of service. The apostles in Acts 6 expect the deacons and allow the deacons to organize the service to the poor, to the congregation. They don't get involved, the apostles. And they're to get, the deacons are to get on with it and do the work in the way they deem necessary and best. And if that's not going to happen, what's the point of electing deacons in the church in Jerusalem? If the apostles are still going to keep their hand or their finger in the pie, they're still going to, to want to hold on to the material first. It defeats the whole purpose. And today it's pointless for a congregation to appoint deacons if elders are going to hold on to 
the oversight of the ministry to the needy. They're going to hold on to uh, the the um, the uh, issue of handling the church's finances. Nowhere to leave the deacons to get on with it. And one of the reasons why we desire to appoint deacons is because at present two of our three reigning elders now serve on the diaconal committee. And these men, like all of us, have limitations in energy, in time, and in a host of other ways. And so that position, that situation, cannot exist and persist long term. So deacons then, they're to serve the needy. And as they do that, remember they're reflecting Christ. And they're exemplifying Christ. They're to serve the congregation. Looking after the finances, looking after the buildings on behalf of the congregation. And as they do that, well, they honour Christ. And they show to the church and they show to the world that all things for Christ are to be done decently and orderly and well. And as the deacons serve the elders, they allow the proclamation of Christ. They enable the proclamation of Christ. You see how all of this ties in. It's not divorced from the gospel. It's not divorced from Christ. It all hangs together and holds together in the person of Jesus. In the character of Jesus. In the work of Jesus. In the gospel of Jesus. Going forward to the ends of the earth. May God give us, if not now, in the near future, then at some point in the future. Men who will sense call, this call, to serve the needy, to serve the congregation, to serve the elders for the sake of Christ among us. Amen. Let us close by singing from this 102nd Psalm. Uh, the A version again and uh, we're singing now from verse 15 through to verse 20 and the tune of St. Lawrence 148 page 241 page 241 and we're picking up now on the theme of this service this care the prayer of the destitute the Lord will regard and then goes on to speak of generations to come Uh, coming to know the Lord uh, and to praise the Lord. And then look at verse 20. When peoples congregated are together brought as one and when to serve the Lord alone assembled kingdoms come. All this service has got to be done for the Lord and in the Lord. Let's stand and sing then from 15 to 20. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.